You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing great. This is so cool. This is like Twitter's version of Clubhouse. Talk, talk, yeah, Clubhouse. I was about to call it Chalk Space. I don't know where I get that from. Hey, guys. <laughs> so I did a little spoiler, which I'll go over it in a minute after the rest of the speakers and stuff get here. But we're going to be talking about books today. Uh, we got to have our own little book club because the misconception is black people don't read, but <laughs> all of us have favorite personal finance. We'll be doing yeah. that tonight. I love it. I'm, I'm trying to look at the thread and talk to you at the same time. Is it going to let me do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So jump in if you have any personal finance books once we, once we get started. I'm liking all of the ones that I have. <laughs> so that I hey everybody hello 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 good who's that speaking sorry I'm Markia <laughs> hi yes I know who you are I just didn't see the speaker like the little I um, I was live on TikTok and everything else okay <laughs> look at you hopping Loki, in, hopping y'all know what reminded me Thanks. to look at the clock Rakim, it said Rakim Sabri joined. I was like, shit, shit, shit. I was like, oh man, I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> oh, yay. Hey, Renina. What up, people? What up? What up? So, this is the spot, Monday nights at nine. Yeah. This, is the spot. this is the Spizna. Nobody is here. What's too? up, fam? Hey. hey. Can I get a blue check? Let me tell you what I gotta do. What I gotta do. Listen, I'm not gonna lie to y'all. I apply every 30 days. It's like a running joke between me, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I literally apply. (laughs) I got this like three jobs ago. (laughs) And you gonna keep working it, boo? You don't get fancy. Hey, did y'all know me, Rakim, and Tiffany are all related? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I believe you for like five seconds. Like, uh, I don't know why I'm so gullible. I swear. We came, we came from a family reunion. Yeah. I mean, Orlando. No, we're not. No, we're not really. Yeah, this some, this some black people. That's my cousin shit. This is what I'm talking about. I'm so gullible. Yeah. No. I'm no, this is some blown. white people, black people all looking like. That's really what it is. Because so. we, because, because everyone else was in Orlando for a conference, but not us. We were there because we were at a family reunion. Yeah, mm-hmm. y'all got to tell that's the story. What, yeah, that's what you, yeah, you might as well tell the whole story. Hey. Now. Okay, <laughs> so I, I let me okay. tell the story because I'm gonna put okay. the Lowry's on it. Okay, <laughs> so we are in Orlando at the Fincon Host Hotel, minding our business at the Hibachi spot. And you know how at the Hibachi spot they put everyone kind of together, you sit on one end aside, and you watch the chef do all the fancy stuff at the grill. So we're introducing ourselves. We're being all polite and talking to the strangers next to us. And they're all there for a work conference. And one of them says, hey, what are you guys doing here? Are you here for a family reunion? Now, I have to admit, Tiffany's reaction was way better than mine. 
Because I made a face and I looked at him and said, no. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. <laughs> you put your hand on the table. She said, wow. Oh, my God. I might have done that, too. But I was so blown. I was like, really? That's what we That's what we do? That's the first thing that came out of your mouth? And so, yeah. so then we were like, no. We're not here for a family reunion. I'm screaming. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. It well, was we are. Thing thing was like, it was no. the first time that I have met both of you. Like, we like we had interacted <laughs> on social media, but it was the first time that we we're meeting in person. So, like, we're we're all saying our highs and stuff, and it was just like, I guess, the familiarity of a no black bond. No, they did not. No, all no. no. <laughs> Family reunion and funeral, and they definitely not about to ask you who died. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, who died? <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a, a bit awkward moment at the dinner table, but then we proceeded to keep it moving and talk to the other people that he was with because that dude was whack. Yeah, the other guy was much nicer. Now, the guy that asked us if it was a family union. He definitely left his MAGA hat at home. <laughs> you could tell that, yeah, he was one of those. It was very, very interesting. And luckily, the other guy that he was with was way nicer. We had way better conversations. So it went from being awkward to eh, it was okay. As long as he stayed on the other side of the table talking to the other people. <laughs> oh, my God. But my favorite moment in the same scenario was when the guy turns to us and he goes, "So what do you all what do you all do for work?" And we <laughs> kind of look at each other and we're like, we start laughing and we're like, "Yeah, we're all self-employed." Because they were they were there for some marketing company. I forget what it was. Some marketing companies. Um, no, that was something that. Oh, you talk. So there was two marketing things there that'll also confuse people because they had the MLM conference. Oh, right. And they had theirs, but they were with the Red Zone or Red something. Their company was having like their first conference since COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's still 200 people, something like that. Right. And then we had to explain like, yeah, so actually we work for ourselves and we we have personal finance conference and we're here for a personal finance conference and just trying to explain that whole thing after the whole, are we there for a family reunion? And so it was interesting to see how the whole dynamic changed. Cause I guess they wasn't expecting that we were business owners and there for a conference. So it kind of changed the whole dynamic. Uh, so it was very interesting. So that is our interesting FinCon story. But I do want to go ahead, because it's already, we are 10 minutes in talking about these people. I do want to hop in and just start this space here. So my name is Tiffany. I run Money Talk with Tiff, and that is a financial education platform if you didn't get anything from what we were talking about for like the past. But we all talk about money. I will let everybody introduce themselves. And I guess we can go in order, and then we'll hop into the topic tonight, which, hint, hint, I went ahead and put a pin a pinned a tweet up at the top with my personal finance book. So we're here to talk books, y'all, and why these books are important to us and why we like them. So, Rakim, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. 
Rakim Sabri, I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. That's it. Y'all know who I am. Thanks. My name is Aquania Escarne. I'm with the Purpose of Money, a platform that teaches women how to build wealth through life insurance and real estate investing. J. Thomas Solutions on IG. I help people build wealth. Is it me? Am I next? Yeah, sure. I can't see the order. I'm sorry. I couldn't see the order. I'm sorry. My name is Marquia. I'm known as the Money Plug here on social media, aka your credit specialist, your credit specialist. I educate people on how all aspects of finance affect your credit and how to get out of it. Hey, fam. I'm Renita Young. I am a financial journalist turned financial educator, and it's great to be here. Yes, yes, and I just saw Ronnie pop up, and we have Nasima too. So Nasima, go ahead, and then Ronnie. Sure. So I'm Nasima McElroy. I teach Black women how to build wealth and make work optional. What's going on, family? My name is Ronnie Good. I'm a CPA. I help business owners and investors leverage the tax code in order to build wealth. Hopefully, everybody's doing good. Yes, yes. So as you can see, we have a whole panel. I guess that's what we call this in the spaces. Speakers, what would we call it? We have a whole situation up here where you are <laughs> you are listening to people that are trying to help other people that look like us with their money situations, regardless of where you're at. We got people that are up here building wealth. We have people up here that just teach personal finance, people that get into trauma, people that get into credit, just all types of stuff, accounting, like we have the gamut. So we like to do this space every Monday at 9 p.m. And it's just a space for us to get together and just have some black money talk. It's very informal. We just shoot the breeze with whatever it is that we're talking about that day. So for today, we thought that it was interesting. Oh, hold on, wait, 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 we got a new addition. Steve, Steve, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? I was definitely about to send him a DM. <laughs> you can't hop to the speaker deck and not be on the treadmill. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to kick it until you was done introducing people. But yeah, I'm Stephen Hughes. I'm a financial therapist and a Reiki master teacher, helping black people get to the root of their money challenges so they can live the lives they need to. But I'm definitely with this book conversation, and that's why I jumped up here. I know you've been asking me, like, "Yo, are you just gonna stay in the audience?" the whole time, Tiffany. And so here I go. Yes, I'm glad we could bring you up to the speaker section this week with the book conversation. I'm super excited about that. So let's just go ahead and get this started. I pinned a tweet at the top, which were some of my personal finance books, some of the ones that I love and over the years that have helped me on my personal finance journey. So I guess we can just hop right in. I guess I'll do one book and then whoever wants to do another book, and we could just have a roundtable discussion about these books. If you read it, what were your takeaways, what you didn't like about the book, and we can just do it like that. So I'll start off. The one book that really changed my perspective on me was Your Money or Your Life. And here's why. Because in the book, she makes it a point, and, and Vicki Robin is the one who wrote the book, and she is actually the godmother, mother, grandmother, whatever you want to call it, of the FIRE movement. She actually kind of started the FIRE movement. And what she makes clear in the book is that your money is tied 
to your time. And I think that's so important. So one of her main points in there is that if you want to purchase something, let's say it's $20 and you make $10 an hour, that's two hours of your time that is gone, right? And so when you start looking at money in that way, you start changing your behaviors and changing how you think about it. So that's why I popped that up there as number one, because that was definitely life-changing for me. Anybody else want to share? I'll go. I like The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a mindset book more than it's a money book, but it's some of the reasons why it's my favorite is because it is a very simple read. So I actually listened to that book on Audible. I believe it's a quick read as well talks a lot about it talks it talks a lot through like losing the word that I want to use but basically like example like these exaggerated examples or analogies and really the general idea that I took away from it and it's been some years since I read the book but was that anybody can get to a point where they can build some wealth for themselves so long as they prioritize self so when I first started in the personal finance space as a financial educator And someone would ask me, like, what's your number one piece of advice for other people trying to get started in their personal finances? I would always repeat the mantra, pay yourself first. And we hear that a million times. Well, the richest man in Babylon really hits home with that messaging, pay yourself first. And and there's a section in the book where he says "A, a piece of everything that you earn should be yours, like for later or something like that. And so if you haven't read it, if you haven't heard of it, I definitely recommend it. Like I said, it's a very quick, easy read and very impactful. Oh, that's good. My grandpa always said, pay yourself first. Don't don't prioritize the bill, people. They're going to get theirs, but pay yourself first. So I love that. I actually wrote that one down so it could be next. I saw uh, Kamari pop in the room. So if you want to introduce yourself and then I guess go ahead and give your book. What up, what up, people? How's everybody today? Um, who am I? Kamari Ellis, the finance rebel. I'm a accountant by day, financial ed- educator at, at night. My book, ugh, it's a lot. Tiffany Gillis is fire, by the way. Rocket Richest Man in Babylon, definitely one of my top five. I like the phrase of make slaves out of your money. That's, that's the one that really sticks with me from that book. But I'm going to go a little left. I'm going to say Atlas Shrugged is one of my personal favorite finance books. It's not truly personal finance, but it has a business finance economical bent on it. And it gets a lot of it gets a lot of flack because it's kind of like the Republican Party's favorite playbook. But I think it's a great story. And you actually see a lot of it coming into real life right now with quiet quitting and with just a lot of people just being absent from the overall process because a lot of people feel that their talents are not deserved or not not deserved that's not what I mean their talents aren't appreciated so I, I would say I would say that was definitely a book that changed my outlook on things and really gave me a, a deeper perspective on the work that we do and the value that we bring with it. The, 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 the title is Atlas Shrugged. Don't watch the movie. The movie sucks, but it's like a cult classic. It's got a cult like following. Okay, and you said Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Okay. 
got it. I'm over here taking notes, y'all, so don't mind me. Um, Jonathan, I see your hand is raised. Yeah, uh, I took a look at your list. I think it was number four, The Millionaire Next Door. That was my first one because it was eye-opening. Because in social media, everybody says millionaires do this, millionaires do that. But I was a big believer, and I'm still a big believer in data, stats, and figures. But I would enter into the conversation A Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. He also was in the, I guess you could say he was a little bit in the fire movement. But the thing about his book was, it's, it's a very easy read. He talks about his story, but there were three, maybe four things that dropped out. Number one, he only invested in index funds on his way. Number two, he, he saved religiously on, I think it was like, I, got, I think, I believe he got up to fit over 50% of his income. Number three, he pulled out <laughs> the, the market when it actually bought him because his stomach couldn't take it. And he actually talks about what that was like going through that process and how even after that, he lost a lot of money, but he still was able to build several millions in index funds after the fact. And that's why he's just a true, true believer in it. And then the last thing, which I think is just good for everyone who decides to invest, like he knew what he, what vehicle of investing he should be using. Meaning he he talks a little bit about his real estate journey and how it bottomed out and how he just couldn't do well in real estate. But he was like, I I got along, I understood index funds and it worked for me. And he kept it very simple. I think he does like two or three funds and that's all he does. Oh, that's good stuff. Cause that is so important. People think that they have to do everything, but really you don't. You just have to find what works for you and what works for your monies and your situation and then go from there. Ronnie, you wanted to go? Yeah, so I got I got a ton of books actually, but the one that I wanted to speak on about personal finance, it's kind of a fire book, I think. It's called Quit Like a Millionaire. It's this couple called Christy Shin and Bryce Long, L-E-U-N-G. I'm, not, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but I thought it was a really good book. I actually got it. I was working in corporate America at the time, so I was trying to figure out how to get out of corporate America. Then I was reading about these people that figured out a way to retire early. And I think they retired like at the age of 32 or 33. They kind of talk about their story a little bit in this book, but not only their story, they actually give examples and tools on exactly what they used and what they did on how they retired early and how they prepared themselves to kind of stay retired when they actually retire. So I thought it was a good book. It was interesting. It's called Quit Like a Millionaire. It's a really, really good read, easy read, very eye-opening, but a good book. Definitely adding that to the list. Seema? Yeah, I definitely want to say that is one of my favorite books and one I reference often because they have like some really good tips as far as how to do dividend investing so that you can not have such a big cash cushion when you retire. Just all kinds of dope ass tips in there. And I go back in and listen to it if it's something that I want to tap in on. But I want to go a little bit more current. I do have my favorite top 10 book list on Instagram. If you guys want to check that out, I have it under my faves in my, my favorite things in my guides tab. But I want to say that Cashing Out by Rich and Regular is going to be like my must-read personal finance book for Black 
millennials, black people, period, because what has been missing in the personal finance space is the conversation around black people and corporate America and how we're overlooked and underpaid and why work, making work optional is super important for us. And it talks about like how to optimize your nine to five so you can live the life that you want to live and basically say F you. It's another way of like cashing out is a very politically correct way of saying F you to the system and pimping that job for what you needed to do and moving on and actually like living the life that you deserve without having to work in a place which chronically undervalues you. And so I really feel like every black professional, any person coming into like coming out of college or coming into the workforce, this is something that they need to read. It is like, that's why I put it as like my number one personal finance book, because I feel like it is that pivotal for the personal finance space. Regular, I'm definitely, that is already on my list. I don't even have to add it. But (laughs) thank you so much for bringing that up because I love what you said there. America, and I just said this, I was speaking earlier to a group and America was made for businesses. It was made for businesses. It wasn't made for individuals. And so any way you can make a business, whether you decide to stay at your nine to five or don't, we talked about that last week, it's made for businesses. So any way you can possibly see yourself having a business is in your best interest. Now, I know Wei had requested speakers, so I just wanted to shoot over to you real quick, and then I saw Stephen's hand raised. No, thanks so much. A great, great space as always. Everybody follow everybody. I'm going to be out of here soon, but everybody follow everybody. So many bright minds. What I've been reading, and I got my Series 6 study from my CFP. I'm a financial advisor. So, I've been just reading the Dictionary of Business Terms and Economic Terms by Barron's Business Guy, right? So a lot of this stuff, you'll see stuff and we'll get intimidated because we don't know the language. And until you got the language down, a lot of stuff will go under over. No matter how bright you are, nobody's born knowing P ratios and yield curves and stuff like that, right? So I personally recommend, it's called the Barron's Business Guy of Dictionary of Business and Economic Terms. It's like 8,000 definitions. There's no stories. There's no parables. None of that is a straight finance dictionary. But I recommend everybody get that on their nightstand. So when you're going through stuff for these great recommendations in the book list, if you don't know it, you can just pull to the dictionary, the business dictionary, and you know exactly what they're talking about and keep reading. Ooh, I like that. Come on, resources. No, that is awesome. Because I know when I first started my newsletter, I used to do a Wednesday word of the week where I highlighted a word and just did a definition and why it's important. Because having that just baseline information can help you in so many ways. People can't talk around you at that point. And see, that is one thing in our community that happens a lot. People throw terminology and stuff out there And if we don't know what they're talking about, we're just like, oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And it could be the worst decision ever, but we don't know what we don't know. So thank you so much for bringing that up. That's good. I wrote that one down for sure. Steven, did you want to say what book you want to put up? I didn't know if that was for me or for Stack, but (laughs) yeah, no worries, no worries. So a couple of things I'll mention. One, Kamari mentioned Atlas Shrugged. I loved Atlas Shrugged. I've never read it, but when I was in college, 
the business school, if you attended enough events, they would give you these books for free. And they gave me Atlas Shrugged and I sold it back at the end of the semester for $90. And I was like, thank you. I was I was so happy about that book. And then for, for you know, Rakim, uh, Rakim mentioned Richest Man in Babylon. And I think that was the first book, like the first money book that I actually finished from cover to cover. And it has a ton of parables in it. But the oldest form of communication is stories. And so it was the easiest thing for me to understand to actually start doing different things in my financial life. But my book is Nasima's book, which is Cashing Out. If you don't have Cashing Out, stop what you're doing. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go buy the book. Whether it's an audio book or a physical book, like go cop the book. Cashing Out made me go get a job this summer. Like that's part of the reason why I'm working again. Because I was like, well... If all this money's in the marketplace and I've increased my value to show people like, hey, you got to put like you got to put the money on the table if we're going to work together. I'm in a position now where I can hit my investing plan many years faster. And so cashing out, it gives you the strategy to decide like, oh, I'm going to use my job as an investor for real. Like People talk about that as the job being like a primary investor in their business or primary investor in what they got going on. But Cashing Out is like a, a really good book to show you how uh, Kirsten and Julian did it and how they think other people can do it and should do it in 15 years instead of the 30-year retirement mark. But I also shared your your Twitter space with like my other books that I consider. But Cashing Out got to be, yeah, y'all, cop Cashing Out. Yes, yes, that is awesome. And I saw a couple hands. Hold on. So Jonathan, I think you had your hand up first. Yeah, I was I'm I'm sad I missed it in the scene because that was definitely on my I think I'm still waiting on a copy. I'm planning on giving a couple copies away. I just haven't read it. But for cashing out, so I'm thankful that you brought that up. But the other two, one I'm reading right now is by Rachel Rogers. We should all be millionaires. And sis was a lawyer and she started opening up her business and working with business owners and the way she writes the book from aspirations of entrepreneur entrepreneurship, even though I know she her audience is mainly women, I personally was challenged on so many different levels of my thinking. So I would definitely encourage that book. And then the other book that I think kind of goes without saying, I know Cashing Out is on its way, but Tiffany book get good with money i think that's just a good basic way to start blueprint that she covers kind of all her steps and anybody that watches the budgetista kind of knows how relatable she is yes yes thank you i want to jump over to marquia because you had your hand up first and then steven because he didn't even introduce himself yet so marquia and then steven stack <laughs> so my book is one i actually found by accident um y'all know i got a lot of kids so like one of my favorite pastimes is like when my husband comes home from work i'll act like i got a bunch of stuff to go do and i'll go walk around barnes and nobles and drink starbucks and read books in the house but that's something i've been doing since like high school like i've always done that and a book that i found it was called how can we win by kimberly jones race history and changing the money game that's rigged i think since i've gotten this book i've probably read it about three times and i got it this summer and the reason why i got it was the quote and i talked about this live that i did on like TikTok right before I got on here too. The quote was, so if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made and then for 50 years, every time that I played, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood. How can you win? And that quote sold it. Like I like I was, when I read it, I was like, oh, I'm buying it. Like I didn't even, 
I didn't even make it all the way to the car before I was already like reading it. Like, and in the book, she talks about how systemic racism impacts impacted her specifically, but she also talks about like how she offers a solution. I, I hate when I read these black trauma books is what I call them. And then they don't offer a solution or an alternative because I feel like you're just poking the problem and not giving me another way to think about it or to look at it. You're not offering me something to hold on to. It's like, you just kind of like pushed me over the edge and now I'm falling because I'm going to be honest with you. These books make me angry and this book will make you angry, but it's also extremely inspiring. She talks about her, like her call for reconstruction 2.0 and like what reparations looks like and restitution and like social restructuring and economic restructuring. And it's just like, it's a really, really good book. It's a short read. Well, for me comparatively, but it was a really, really good read. I have it, I have a hard copy and I also have it on audiobook, but it was a really, really good read. I suggest you guys go get it. And what was that one again? You said, How Can We Win With Money? It's How Can We Win by Kimberly Jones. How Can We Win? Okay. Gotta write that one down because that is going right up my alley. I can go into some some of those books. But first, let's go to Steven Stack because he didn't introduce and he has to give us his book. So first off, hello, everybody. What, what do you want me to do as far as intro? Because I, I like to be brief. Just be brief. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, pretty much who you are, what you do, and then you can hop into your book. <laughs> gotcha. My name is Steven Stack. I actually know the other Steven that's on this call, Q, so y'all can just call me Stack to differentiate us, which that's what we did back in the day coming up. The short story is I'll, I do financial consulting, helping people, especially those that look like me, but obviously I'll help anybody to be able to build wealth using the very things that I did to become a millionaire at age 31. So as far as books, and by the way, I, I hope we're keeping like a running list of all of these books because I will literally read all of them that I haven't read already. Um, I'm trying. Honestly, Stack, I'm trying. My little hands is writing, but, <laughs> but this I have is a recorded. So. I have a thread one, and every time you guys mention a book, I tag you and then I tag an Amazon link with the book. Got gotcha. you. So, good, good, good. I like it. Hopefully this wasn't mentioned already, but the most transformative money book for me was, was a book called The Color of Money by Mirsa Baradaran, which I actually got a chance to talk with the author as well. But it really takes, and it's like the, the history of the Black banks and the racial wealth gap. And it really walks through from like just money stuff for black people and America from slavery all the way up to like 2017. And if you're unsure about where we have been financially, it, it is a phenomenally comprehensive read on the topic. When, when I read it, it, and this is some years back, First off, it pissed me off, but it was also inspiring to see the incredible amount of resiliency of those that came before me and all the things that they had done to, to try to advance in the face of so much opposition. And I already had a, a mentality of, I'm going to win. But after reading it, it was just like, 
I can't lose. And I just want to push that into everyone that I see that looks like me to, to let it be known. A lot of the things that we've been told just is a flat out lie and let's go win. So that, that's one for me. Yes, yes. That that one is one of my favorites. I have read that one and I absolutely loved it because it, it gets into all of that. And before I go on a tangent, did we get everybody, did everybody do at least one book? Renita, did you do a book? Maybe not. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do another one real quick on that same vein. And that is Black Fortunes. Black Fortunes, I loved that book because for the same reasons you just said, Stack, it gives you, so, okay, it goes over the stories of the first five millionaires out of slavery, okay? Because everybody always thinks it was just Madam C.J. Walker. It was not. (laughs) There were other Black millionaires after slavery and everything, and that goes over the first five Black millionaires out of slavery. Now, I love that book because it changed my entire perspective because I'm just like, okay, I never went through slavery myself. I never went through slavery. And in my mind, I feel like that is way worse than what we have to deal with today. And if they can be resilient enough and be able to come out of slavery and become millionaires, I'm like, okay, so what's my excuse, right? What is my excuse at this point? Because if they were able to be in a situation where they could, they weren't allowed to read, they weren't allowed to write, they weren't allowed to do a lot of the things that we take for granted today and still become millionaires. Now, granted, it goes over five and there might've been a few more too, but at the same time, I'm like, what's the difference between me and them? And so for me, that book was so empowering to me. And I looked at life completely different. And especially because I run in a lot of circles where it's all about black power and black empowerment and things like that. And a lot of times running in those groups, a lot of people start playing the victim. Honestly, I'm going to just be real. A lot of people are like, oh, well, the man is keeping us down and so on and so forth. And yes, there are certain situations like that. But at the same time, we can learn how to play the game and get around it just like they did out of slavery. So I'm like that book right there, it really changed my perspective on a lot of things and made me want to go harder, honestly. So Kamari, I saw your hand first. Yeah, Tiffany, what was your favorite character in that book? I love that book as well. Oh gosh, now you're making me, because it's been a minute since I read it. Let me see. I'm trying to think back to the stories. I want to say, you know what? Don't even get me the line. <laughs> Don't even get me the line because it's been a minute since I read it. But I will say each story had a certain lesson that I learned from each one. No like, doubt. of course, oh, go ahead. No, I just said no doubt. I'm sorry. Of course, they went over Madam C.J. Walker. And of course, what I learned from her story, because I just, that's the most popular story. So I remember vividly, is that she had other people selling her products for her as well as doing it on her own. So she was like one of the first people to do like the, I'm not going to say MLM because it's not, that's kind of discounting it. But she was like, look, I can do your hair for free. She did their hair. She was like, oh, I'm using my product. And then she's like, this product worked for you. Do you want to go ahead and sell this product? And so she started building a team around that. And so what that taught me is sometimes, 
you can't do it alone. Most of the time you can't do it alone. And it's good to have people around you that can help you out. And so I really, and that was one of the lessons that I enjoyed from her story. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, no. I get excited every time I talk about that book. I love it so much for the same reasons that you mentioned, because I've run in a lot of black power, pan-African type circles. And yes, we tend to get down on ourselves we tend to basically feel like there's no way out. And it's just like that. You have all the knowledge, but you can't figure out anything else. But enough of that. I would say Robert Church was a big, one of my favorites. The man bailed out Memphis. Like, you got a black man that basically bailed out a whole major city that nobody ever talks about. That was a, that was a big one. And then he also, Robert Church again, also helped to fund a major movement from Memphis to Oklahoma and Black Wall Street over there in Greenwood. So that was another big one, but I guess I also love that book because there's a lot of stories about Philadelphia in that book from the bus company that hired the white stockbrokers. They were just outside of the city and the lady that moved to Harlem, she was originally from Philadelphia. So it was fascinating for me. Fascinating. Philly always make it about Philly. Always. That's right. That's right. But you know what? I definitely agree because I read that book and like I never stopped to think like who was my favorite. Um, but like thinking about it, I definitely think O.W. Gurley was probably one of my favorite stories. In that normally when we talk about buying back the block and creating these communities, all you hear about people is talk about I'm gonna build these homes, I'm gonna build these homes, I'm gonna build these homes. But in order for a community to be entirely self-sufficient, it needs other things like a supermarket. It needs a hospital, a police department and stuff like that. And so like when he had bought his land and was like separating it between commercial and, and, and personal and residential, I'm sorry. So he was like separating it into that. Like he was taking his land and pretty much helping to build that self-sufficiency that we are all seeking. And, and that was one of the first times that I had ever even considered like, yo, why didn't damn, why don't we talk more about, like, opening grocery stores and the open, like, bodegas or whatever you want to call them in our neighborhoods so that we own them and we run them and people can't just pull them away and we end up in these food deserts. And so that was the first time that it really opened my eyes into the possibilities of creating wealth, but not only creating wealth, creating community and what is needed for that community to thrive on its own. I'm so glad you brought that up because... Housing is only one aspect. We need schools. We need food places. We need health care. Like, there's so, like, <laughs> there's so many different aspects that when you look at gentrification and things like that, that, you know, it, it, it kind of affects. Like, I was at a conference and just locally, and he pulled up the map, and the bus routes were made to ship people. So, on where I live, the east side is like the underdeveloped black side, quote unquote, or whatever. And then the west side is like the quote unquote white side and all that stuff. And what was interesting is how the transportation is laid out. It's easy to get to the west side. It's not easy to come back to the east side or even travel within the east side. And so what happens is people 
go from the east side to the west side to spend money, and then they have to go back to their communities because there's nothing over on the east side. So there's so many different things that that affects, and we have to start looking as a community, and I'm so glad you brought this up, how we can be self-sufficient and support each other because we are just as talented. We have a lot of people out here that do a lot of different things. And so tapping into that resources, like I'm proud to say my doctor, dentist, OB, everybody black. <laughs> that's just how I roll. But it's like, we have so many bomb people out here doing a lot of good things. And so just tapping into the resources that are already available and then helping people build more resources. And I saw Rakim's hand has been up for a minute. Yeah, I hold on. I gotta catch my thought again. I shout out to Nasima and Stephen for mentioning cashing out. So I didn't read the book. I didn't get the book yet. I did have an opportunity to talk with both Julian and Kirsten, and my talk with Julian at FinCon like almost made me cry like three times in the same conversation because I could see so much of my experience in corporate America in him and it was just like just being recognized as a black man in that space and having to navigate all that comes with that and and have him kind of like pour just a lot into me was amazing so i've heard a lot about the book i've watched him talk on panels about it. i just haven't made the time to buy it but you guys have convinced me and then i because we're doing additional books i got to plug up financially irresponsible so i wrote financially irresponsible it's available on amazon published it in 2019. And the reason why I wrote Financially Irresponsible is because at the time, I did not see a lot of Black people in personal finance publishing books that I could relate to. So everybody was talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Everybody was talking about all a lot of these books that we've mentioned, The Millionaire Next Door, The Richest Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich. And all of those books were hugely influential in me deciding to write my own. But I knew that my intention at that time was and still is to speak specifically to black people whose experience I can relate to. And through my experience, I could inspire and, and educate. Additionally, Financially Irresponsible is not purely a financial book. So I break the book up into two parts. The first part talks about spirituality and mindset. And I think that, and this is another reason why I love Steven so much. Steven and his practice, I'm about to like hype him up real quick. <laughs> Steven and his practice as a financial therapist incorporates aspects of spirituality when he's working with his clients that I feel like is something that is ignored within the black community. We are a spiritual group and it doesn't matter what aspect of spirituality we subscribe to. When we tap in, we're tapped in. And so I find that that's missing when we look at a lot of the financial educators, including black financial educators, who talk about financial content through the lens of their education that is basically, not basically, but is whitewashed and assumes that everybody is starting at the same starting point and has access to the same opportunities without respect to the same barriers that exists structurally, systemically, racially, et cetera. So Financially Irresponsible, the first chapter of that book is called Money is Not the Root of All Evil. And it starts to break down 
the mindset that we have around shame, around guilt, around just negative relationships with money. And I go through, I think, the first six or seven chapters talking about your spiritual and mental relationship with money. And then I finish the book talking about strategy, pulling from Dave Ramsey, pulling from Robert Kiyosaki, from Grant Cardone. Last thing I'll say on the topic, and I have to plug another book that's not financial, but was hugely influential as I was writing my book. It's called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGroy. And Dr. Joy talks about the impact, the generational impact of trauma from slavery on Black people to present day. And I think that by not acknowledging how that generational trauma shows up, particularly in the way that we view, interact with, or believe about money, that we're doing ourselves a disservice because it has such an impact. So again, the book is called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Dr. DeGroy is a doctor of psychology. She did her thesis. This was her thesis work. And reading that book and reading that book while I was writing my book is a huge influence in the work that I do today, focusing on financial trauma and unlocking that financial trauma because we're attacking it from a very holistic perspective. So shout out to everybody that I mentioned. Yes, yes, you just dropped so many good <laughs> gems, and I and I'm like, did I hear you say decolonizing finance? Because that's what I heard. But Renita, <laughs> go ahead. That's what I heard too, by the way. But okay, without taking us too far off topic, I remember Tiff, you were talking, or maybe it was someone else, just talking about the whole buy back the block phenomenon, right? And how we really need to figure out how to do more things than just build real estate built homes. So it's, I don't know if y'all have heard of the Freedom Georgia initiative, but it's a group of black families that pooled their money to buy some over 500 acres. Okay. It looks like you guys might've heard of it. Okay. But it's a pretty cool project to watch. They're building a farm, which is huge. You guys, this is where our food comes from. If you can build a farm, then you may be able to sustain a community and build a community. It's not just our food, but depending on what kind of commodities are grown there, it could be our clothing too that's impacted. So I just wanted to mention that as something to watch. Okay. We're done with being off topic now. Thanks. No, thank you for that. And it was Marquia that started that off. And then I just jumped in with my two cents. But yeah, that is so important too. Y'all actually, matter of fact, while we on that topic, support your local black farmers. Because I know here in North Carolina, they be out and we have like certain farmers markets and stuff that are mainly for black people. And I buy from them all the time. So Definitely, if you at your local farmer's market and you see a black farmer, go ahead and support them because they have it hard out here. Honestly, I've spoken to a few of them. And even this one guy, he he was, what, 70-something? And he was actually the first black farmer in his county and the only. And he got a lot of flack about that. But he overcame that and he is now over the land and water use or something like that. He's in an elected office. So I was like, that is so dope. But yes, support your black farmers. I don't know whose hand was Wait, I just want to comment on that real okay. quick. Um, mm-hmm. I grow food. So I started growing fruits and veggies in my backyard. For those of you who don't know, I've homeschooled my kids for about three years. And one of our projects, it started as a self-love project and kind of grew into us actually like having like, we used to call it a mini farm out back and 
I bought all my, I used to buy all my seeds from this black owned farm in Houston called Ivy Leaf Farms. I don't know if anybody's in Texas, but I even had the opportunity to travel there and they do, sometimes they have events and stuff on the farm. Like I bought, I got like a Carhartt coveralls. Y'all, y'all can't tell me nothing when I wear my Carhartt to my little pineapple boots and I go out my garden. Like I got my coveralls from them, all my supplies, all my tips. Like there are more ways to support black farmers than just by buying their food. You can buy seeds from them, share their stuff, put people on to their stuff, but it takes nothing to just recommend. So that's one farm that I definitely want to highlight because all the way in Virginia, they've been helping me with growing food for my family here. So I definitely wanted to point that out if anybody was interested in that. Yo, Marquia, I'm so sorry to jump in, but if you didn't know, since you are already growing food, there are government grants that you can get and you can get that land declared a farm. So I did a whole episode on it. And any of you who grow things as well, there are ways that uh, or th- you'd be surprised how much money is out there for the agriculture business and for trying to get Black folks and women involved. And a uh, good person in our community who gave one of our big idea speeches, Sharita Humphrey. She and her husband are in the process of buying a farm and she's been using or showing some of her process like on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So definitely look her up. And then it's a woman, a black woman named Dr. Tammy Gray Steele, who is, I forget the name of the organization, but she's huge in the farming community. And Ivy Lee Farm may or may not be one of her community. It sounds like it might be one of her possible farms or one she may be affiliated with. I'm not 100% sure, but those are good folks to follow. Yes, come through with the grants. If you have a link, please let me know because I do have a backyard and I will start a farm. (laughs) Don't try me. No, but Kamari. My bad. I'm over here. I was so inspired by your thread, Tiffany. I started one of my own. Um, But what I was going to say was piggybacking off of what you said, talking about supporting black farmers. We're talking about books, personal finance books. So also please support our black home bookstores in our respective cities as well. Ooh, good point. Good point. You know what? I don't know. That would be a good something to put together because like, I don't even know if there's any black bookstores where I live. Where? Well, I'm afraid to ask where you are, but I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> where do you think I was? I was getting DC DMV vibes, but I wasn't sure. Oh, wasn't okay. Sure. Well, I'm I'm glad that I'm cool like that. But no. <laughs> I'm in uh, good old North Carolina. Um, uh, 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 back to the soil. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm from Philly, so I guess I'm kind of spoiled because we have several black books. And years ago, I actually was I had the honor and privilege of helping a black bookstore, the first black-owned bookstore in Philadelphia stores or something that's near and dear to my heart. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, now you're going to have to make me ask Facebook because that's usually where I go uh, <laughs> to get all my local information. I'm at the ask Facebook, like, what is the closest black bookstore to where, where I live? Because that is an interesting question. If there isn't one, maybe this is something I need to do. So thank you for bringing that up. I want to shoot over to Jonathan and then Steven. Yeah, ultimately, there's two things that I that came up while you guys were speaking. One, we have Black banks. We have pretty much African-American people in every space. But the thing that kind of rang true, Marquia, that when you were speaking was 
the black dollar only circulates about six hours in the African-American community. In Jewish community, it's about 20 days. In Asian community, it's about 30 days. And so when you talk about that community aspect, we have two huge challenges, right? From a support aspect, but also I think just in this, just me and business owners that I've worked with and just watching how people, how we do business, we have to be willing to improve our business's quality to compete because no, I don't want to go. If I go, when I go buy Julian's book, I'm not asking him for a discount, which we, who has not gotten that when you went in business? Do you have a discount? Do you have a friend fee, cousin fee? I've met you on Facebook fee, whatever. But then also as we do gain more resources, the due diligence is in order for us to prosper out is we have to make our businesses more competitive from operations, sales. Like it's just a due diligence. But I just thought about that dollar circulation thing as you were talking about the community. I thought that might be a good ad nugget to include. And you know what, really quick, Stephen, before we have to you. So honestly, Jonathan, that is something that I'm doing locally in my community because I, I, me and a couple of other of my entrepreneur friends, we got tired of hearing people say, oh, well, see, this is why I don't support black businesses. And this is why da, 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 da. So we were like, okay, what can we do to be part of the solution? And so we're making a whole curriculum for black and brown businesses on everything from soft skills to just all types of stuff. So that way they can go through the curriculum. We can say, okay, we vouch for these businesses because they've gone through our curriculum and we can feel comfortable in referring them out and stuff like that. So we saw that issue come up. Now, I'm not one of those. I support my people because my other thing is how many times have McDonald's and Walmart and all of them messed up, but you still go. But we were like, okay, let's see how we can be the solution to this. And so that's what we started in our local community. And we're actually rolling out currently. We just got hired by an organization to start rolling out. So it's like, if you see stuff like that, you can start local, you can start small and say, you know what? Okay. Let me put on a business seminar. Let me put on a business workshop so I can teach some of these maybe soft skills or whatever. So that way you can be the change and you can improve other small businesses. So that's what we're doing locally. Feel free y'all to take that idea and roll it out wherever you want, but it's much needed. And a lot of times, even when you look at these small business incubators and stuff, it's not, it's still not made for us. And I can go on a whole tangent about that, but we were like, you know what, even if we don't get paid or we don't have funding and all that stuff, it's it's just going to take a little bit of our time and we can affect so many other small business owners and their lives. So anyway, oh, go ahead. You were, you were correct. I'm sorry. Just one last thing. I know this is usually an entrepreneur space, but even if you're just working a nine to five, one of the things that I was looking into as I was going my career was I've, I wanted to go work for the Black Bank Network in Atlanta because of all the experience I was able to garner I felt like that could have been a value add. So those are things you can do, even if you're not an entrepreneur, just taking all the bull by the horns. You can actually use your talent skills that you've been negotiating, earning, and take that education and feed that into the organizations to help them prosper forward. But that was yours. No, completely agree. That's so real. And while we're on that tangent, real quick, 
serve on y'all's local boards and stuff like that too, because that's another need that we have out here. There's not much representation on these boards. I serve on quite a few in my local community, and most of the time I'm the only black voice. But if I wasn't there and these nonprofit organizations or what have you are supposedly serving our community, they have no idea of what what we got going on. Like I had to sit there and explain WIC and food stamps and all of this stuff. And had I not been there, then money would have been allocated in different ways. So that's another ask in your local community. If you can serve on boards, do so because we need more representation there. Okay, finally, Stephen. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you. You're saying a lot of good things, so I'm, I'm not even mad at, at waiting. I got the patience. So a couple of things that I'll mention. First off, Rakim, I appreciate you, bro, for going up for my business like that. Thank you. And letting the people them know what, what time it is when it comes to money and spirituality and psychology. Just We could talk about that all day. A- another thing I'll mention real quick. So Jonathan talked about the dollar bouncing into a Black neighborhood six times or six hours. I, I can't remember what the the quote used to be, but Dr. Jared Ball, like he's done a good bit of work to like show people that this is, this is something that was made up. Like it's, it's nothing that would is able to be proven or to say like, this is actually happening in black neighborhoods or Asian neighborhoods or any of that sort. And I mentioned it because that's a, that's something that I used to say as well, but we have to be so mindful of like the source and the words that we use when we're talking to each other when we're building with each other. And so, yeah, check out Jerry Ball's work because he talks about how how under-resourced most Black communities are. Like, we, we couldn't even be able to count, like, how, min- how much money is, is still in the community or in the neighborhood once it's made from outside of the community or the neighborhood. And so that was another thing that I was going to mention. But there was something that Tiffany was talking about in regards of starting a business in your city and teaching really doing the curriculum that you were talking about doing. Uh, I think like the biggest thing that we can do when it comes to talking about money is, or really anything for the community is teaching everything that we know, like having the goal that I'm going to teach any and everything that I learn and find out. I'm going to teach every single thing that I know to somebody in some capacity in some channel. I'm going to teach this, whether it's me negotiating for this startup salary or starting a nonprofit and keeping it going or, whatever the topic is. Right. And so I think I love that y'all created the curriculum and that Renita is dropping grants for a farmland. I don't know if that is that only for food. Can I grow some other stuff that I get the grants to, or we can talk about that offline though. Um, Yeah. But I I think that, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot out here and in here, you know what I'm saying for us. And so appreciate the space and the books that y'all are dropping as well. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that I'm over here. Like, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Last thing. So how do I change my, my skin color on here from the Homer Simpson joint to like the brown joint? Because bro, 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 bro. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to throw up like some more like applause <laughs> hands and, and, and like fists when Rakim was talking, but it kept, it kept coming up with the yellow joints. And I was like, damn, that's not really given what I'm, that's not what really. I was trying to hit you. I was trying to hit you offline. I was trying to text you. Bro, you got it. Yeah, you should have dropped it. Right, right. right. I, I, my bad. I didn't. Let, I shouldn't let you embarrass yourself. Just hold the button down, and for whichever emoji, and then you'll be able to slide over and tap it. You'll be good to go, and it, it'll change it for you. Got Just it. Do- wow. 
So they yeah. don't do it for the whole joint, though. That's so crazy. Yeah. Why don't I have a tray of brown emojis? Why, why isn't that happening? But come on, Twitter. <laughs> right. Yeah, I went ahead and changed all of mine when I figured it out. So that way, because it does travel with you to each space. So even right. if you're in another space, your hands will still be melanated. So just FYI. Right. <laughs> See, you're testing it out. Go ahead and join me on the darkest shade, though, Steve. Okay. <laughs> just go ahead and slide over to the right just a little my, bit more no, be good. My, my brethren and, and sister from from the continent on the west side told me that I am light skinned like compared to them and so I, I stepped down from the all the way to the right to the brown one and so we're going to ride with that until you know what I'm saying until I hear otherwise but I'm, wi I'm with you I'm with you too I wanted to use that one too Right. Yeah, see, we're not gonna we'll go take that there. offline. We'll take that offline. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, that's you about to open up a whole other can that I can get in. <laughs> and we don't have time tonight. So. It's all good. It's all good. Oh man. All right. I wanna hop over to Simcia because they had their hand up for a minute. So go ahead. <laughs> hey, what's going on, everyone? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hey, how's it going? Hey, so I know we're supposed to we're supposed to be introducing ourselves and then mentioning the book. Yeah, go ahead. Uh -huh. Hey, how you, how's how's it going, everyone? My name is Simcia. I'm I'm fairly new to the to the finance finance personal finance conversation space, and a lot of my experience is is rooted in my personal experience with personal finance, and not really so much as as being a practitioner or being in operating at the advising capacity. There, there are a couple of books that I've come across that have been pivotal in really me understanding the American financial system. I'm not sure if anyone's already mentioned this book. It's a book by Dorothy Brown from Emory University, The Whiteness of Wealth. She's a tax, she's a tax law professor who was previously a tax attorney who pretty much breaks down how the the tax system was designed to benefit a lot of the wealthy white people of the past. And so she really breaks down very various different instances in the tax law and how they were discriminatory in the past. And so it, I think that it's really good for anyone to really understand. It's not really a book that as inspiring as some of the other books that really inspire you to to pursue all your dreams but i think it does a good job of letting you know where you're starting out at and then you can know where to go from then then on oh thank you for that because i had never heard of that one and it sounds right up my alley so we'll be adding that one to the list i've read the book you yeah. read it of course I've, you did i've read it <laughs> i guess i'm probably the only tax guy here but i you know i read it it's a rough read, but it's a brilliant read all at the same time, if if you can get what I'm saying. And just certain things about how the tax code was constructed, Tiffany, you so eloquently said America was built for business owners. And it was white business owners who basically pushed that narrative and pushed the tax code by pushing things that they wanted or wanted to have. For example, the benefit of when you're married and you're married and filing jointly. That came as a result of a white business owner who wanted to continue to claim his white wife who didn't work. So there's a big benefit for single single income households who have big income. Most of us probably come from one one income households that are kind of low income. 
But when you are a single member household, you're doing it and you can have the whole stay at home wife type thing. It's a big game changer. Big game changer. Big game changer. Yes, thank you for shedding light on that. Now I'm pre-worn. <laughs> it's a rough read, but it sounds like it has some good information though. So I'm going to definitely check that out and see what that one's all about. So thank you, Cynthia, for bringing that up. Yeah, any, any, just, just, just along the lines of what Kamari was saying, anyone who's married, I strongly suggest that you really understand the benefits of the, the marriage bonus and the marriage penalty. And I think that it really helps you from a strategic standpoint to really understand your tax position and it can help you just do nothing but go up from there. I also think when we, just on the taxes tip, just personally speaking, like it's not, taxes in general is, intim- is intimidating. And I think that's part of the reason why, like we talk about wealth and all that, but if people really started to dive deep and really learn and it's not so easy to learn taxes, right? There are a lot of simple concepts, but when you, as your situation grows a little bit more complex, you really start to be able to peel back the layers. Layers, But the complexities of the tax code, let's, in my opinion, I think that's by design. <laughs> it's absolutely by design. But I tell people all the time, the tax code is a cheat code. And so if you can figure out how to manipulate and leverage the tax code, you can use it to absolutely build wealth. And I wish more of us, as you said, Jonathan, would really get into it from a, what, what can I say, from a real place, not from a gotcha or get rich type place that we see so much on social media, but definitely a good thing. And by the way, Ronnie's here. Uh, how could I miss Ronnie? Ronnie's a, a CPA as well, so he's definitely a tax advisor also. Yeah, I was going to say, we got a couple of tax people up here, and I completely agree with you with people actually getting into taxes. I know I've been doing my taxes since I was 16, and I've learned so much over the years just by doing my own. So highly recommend, if you don't want to do your own, at least know what they're doing so that way you can be more educated. And that's what I tell people too, even if you farm it out, just get the basic knowledge down, the basic information. So that way, as they're doing the taxes and they're throwing all these terms out at you, you know what's going on and you're not just falling for anything. I actually just had a conversation with somebody earlier today because they hired somebody to do their taxes and they was like, oh, they didn't put their name on it. They put my name on it. So it was like she did her own taxes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because if they did it wrong, they don't have any accountability now. It kind of falls back on you. And see, she didn't even know that part. And go ahead, Kabari, I might be misspeaking, but... No, no, you are 1,000% speaking the truth. I was just going to say, um, and that's probably one of the biggest scams going. Um, And they get a lot of people in trouble. Mm, See, see? (laughs) I was like, hold on, please correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, that's what I told her earlier. I said, no, you want to make sure whoever does your taxes put their information because I was like they have a tax business right she was like yeah I was like they should put their information on there so that way if anything happens or comes back they'll be held accountable also and go ahead Ronnie yes I just wanted to piggyback on what Kamari was saying and what everybody was saying in terms of us looking at the tax code so so many so many times we look at the tax code it's kind of different levels of it right 
the way we look at the tax code, most people, I would say, is more about an it's a nuisance, right? So we hate it, right? Here it's tax time, here it comes. But there's a different level to play the game when it comes to taxes. And I think it's very important that we learn how to play the game like other people have been playing the game. So if you look at the tax code, it doesn't say, even though it may have been created for a specific group of people, it doesn't say only for black people, only for, for the most part, only for white people, black people, Asian people. It may say to benefit business owners. It may say to benefit investors like real estate investors, or it may say to benefit certain people that's playing the game the right way. So all we have to do is really change how we're playing the game, so to speak, learn how to leverage it to benefit us. And I think we'll look at the tax code from a different perspective because it's involved in everything we do. When you look, when you look around, it's your largest expense when you start to think about it. But it's, it, we just have to play it the right way. So I, I can talk about this all day. I'm passionate about it, but that's my two cents. Ronnie, one thing that I think he skipped over that I don't think a lot of people understand is you said play the game, right? Every, to me, the tax code is the, is the rules to the game. It tells you how to spend your money, how to save your money, what you get credit for. There's nothing else in our society that tells you, hey, if you do this with your money, you will get this. It literally is the Bible on how you're supposed to spend your your money here. So why wouldn't we read it? Or why wouldn't we learn about how to play a game? Because just like we learn how to play spades and Uno and all that, we just picked up the cards, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, I try not to take up too much time. But uh, people just don't like to – they don't want to deal with it. If you read the actual code, it's like a Shakespeare book, how they talk in vow and art and all of that type of stuff. So it's, it can be confusing. And it's, and it's very long, too. They say if you print it out, it's like, what, 60,000 pages or something like that, Kamari? So I, I understand why people don't want to deal with it because it's dry. But once you tap into it and you use it to benefit you, you'll you'll start to fall in love with it. Man, Not a, code. a lot of people say the code is, is uh, 80,000 pages, but, that, but that's all the old, old code as well. The current code is only around 5,000 pages, somewhere around there. But you know, everybody loves to throw around that, that 80,000. No shots at you, Ronnie. I, I was watching somebody trying to sell something the other day, and they were, they were saying, oh, the tax code is this, and then come get my $1,000 course. And it's just like, oh, God. Well, you said only 5,000. With us, like regular people that's not in the tax Thank you. They look at 5,000 and they're like, wait a minute. 5,000? Like Shakespeare? <laughs> what? Excuse me? But you know what? There's a few you're zeros right. behind there, bro. No, <laughs> like, you're, you're right. But the way the code is organized is organized in sections. And so nobody can memorize or learn it all. But there are some people who drill down in certain sections and become subject matter experts. For example, you have People who are into crypto heavily, they have been mastering all of that that's been coming out because it's new. It's a new horizon. on a new horizon. So that's pretty big. There's some people that just deal with real estate. There's a whole section about real estate. One of the, probably the bigger sections in the, in the code as well. So I'm sorry for the 5,000 page. No, it's all good. I was messing with you, but yeah. I, mean... I wasn't. <laughs> Jonathan always picking on me. <laughs> Jonathan's like, I'm not. <laughs> A thousand pages in my whole career. <laughs> but... 
That is funny. I wanted to go over to Miss Bonnie because she stepped up and welcome back this week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was just listening in and I'm just using this as like a learning experience since we're, I just wanted to ask, I had two separate questions since we have some tax experts in here. I noticed that doing taxes have became a, a lucrative business for younger, the younger generation, probably like 20s and 30s when they, and they're not, they, they're not a certified public accountant, but they're doing people taxes. I wanted to know, is that something that anyone could get into without the IRS coming after you because they they did something? Maybe they tried to get you the best refund ever or something of that sort. I just noticed that a lot of people are in the tax business. And my other question is when, like, I know Bitcoin and different cryptocurrencies certain people like if you are utilizing somebody that's in a different country and maybe they want you to pay them in bitcoin because they don't it the currency exchange does that affect your taxes and so forth those are both of my questions and anyone can answer all right i see kamari has his hand up so he's itching go ahead <laughs> come on ronnie jump in on this i, I got you go ahead tag team so I, I'll tell you i started doing taxes because my daddy was a so it doesn't take rocket science. I do feel it takes a high level of integrity though, or it should take a high level of integrity. Because yes, you the, the tax the tax system is an honor system and some people take advantage of it. And when you take advantage of it, you make it bad for everyone. For example, a lot of people will will tout that they get the biggest refund, but they're filing false things, lying on their tax returns. And if you are prepared and you get caught by the IRS, the IRS will come down and audit a lot of your clients to see who all was enriched by your by your criminal activities. And there's a lot of cases like that. I actually love to cover them on my YouTube channel because they're actually fascinating. But yes, it can be a great way to make money though, right? So you can do good and do well all at the same time in this business. And there's nothing wrong with making money, right? So be clear, there's nothing wrong with making money. I just believe we can all make money and be highly integral and show great levels of character by doing it. But sadly, the culture, I'm not going to say the culture, some people in the culture don't believe the same way. I Regarding Bitcoin and paying other people in other, other areas, that can be a little bit tricky. But if you're paying for a business, that can still be used as an expense. But you got to be tricky because sometimes when you pay people in Bitcoin, it could potentially become a, a tax a tax scenario because you're kind of selling an asset. Not kind of, you are selling an asset to then pay it. So you got to potentially account for that on your tax return as well. Yeah. Come on, Ronnie. Come on, yeah. come on, real quick before he, Ronnie jumps in. Can you talk about the difference between using an asset as payment? and just normal forms of payment, just in case from an education gap. Say that one more time for me, Jonathan, doing what? Using it, like, what is, what is the definition when you're paying using an asset, how how different that is than if I just gave you physical money or use a credit card? So I don't, I don't want to go too philosophical. You already tell me on my 5,000-word tax code. But Bitcoin originally was built as a payment exchange but it's morphed into glorified stocks that are on steroids right now. And so the IRS, the way that people have pumped it up, the IRS has classified it 
as an asset. And the way that the IRS deals with assets is that anytime there's a profit or loss, you're supposed to report it on your tax return. Bitcoin is an asset, a capital asset. So anytime you have potential gains or losses, you're supposed to report it on your tax returns, good, bad, or indifferent. So it can get a little bit tricky, especially if you're doing a lot of transactions. And just to give you an example, because I know this might sound a little out there. Let's say you brought a Bitcoin for $1. You held it, then you use it to pay for something, but that Bitcoin now went to $2. So technically, you just made a dollar off the Bitcoin and you, and you also brought a good or service. But you're supposed to report that $1 gain that you got off the Bitcoin. So I feel like I'm going down a technical rabbit hole, so I'm going to stop and let Ronnie jump in. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my fear. <laughs> so I'll just add my little I'll just add my little two cents uh just to get us off of taxes to everybody. But to answer your question, Miss Vine, yes, it can be very lucrative to be a tax preparer. So I would if you're looking to get into it, I would say look at the different paths to become a tax preparer. Now there are different services you can offer once you start to get into taxes. You can start off as a preparer, but then you can get into more kind of advisory stuff, right? You can become more of an advisor, but definitely get into it. Very lucrative. I started back in 2005. So almost about 17 years ago. So yeah, it was, and I wasn't, I didn't even have my accounting degree at the time. I took a, I took a class and I learned about how to prepare individual taxes. Once you start getting into businesses and stuff like that, it can get a little complicated because uh, a lot more accounting stuff start to come into play. But I would say go for it, get started, start making you some extra money. Agreed. And what's the difference between an advisor and a preparer, if you don't mind answering quickly? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll try to answer it in more of a simple way. I would say f from a prepare perspective, it's more, think about somebody at the end of the year, you're handing over your documents. You're probably going to talk to them during tax filing season. That's normally the time where everybody is rushing between January to April, right? You're going to see them one time. You're going to hand them all your documents. They're going to prepare your taxes, and that that's normally it. Now, the difference between them and, let's say, an advisor, an advisor can, first of all, they can represent you in, in front of the IRS in case you get a notice or something like that. Something happens. They can represent you. You you Once you get into it, you'll see who can and what credentials and all of that good stuff. I won't bore the people any much longer. But also advisors help you tax plan, meaning it's more of a proactive approach. So instead of just waiting until January to April to talk to them, you're working with them throughout the year to help you navigate the tax code, help you save money, help you prevent from falling in these tax traps. For example, you pick up the phone and say, hey, Ronnie, I'm thinking about selling my, my rental property. So I say, okay, you just sell your rental property outright. You're going to owe capital gains tax and you're going to owe depreciation recapture. So I'll be like, okay, let's not pay that. I don't want you to have to owe that. So let's do something else like a 1031 exchange or something like that. So that's helping you navigate before you even make the decision. We're having a conversation to help you save money on taxes. That's more advising. I hope that kind of helps. Yes, thank you. We might. Go ahead. And if oh, you yeah. have, yeah. 
I was just going to briefly, briefly jump in with the text guys of saying that it, that is an ideal space to be in where you're collaboratively working through the different financial transactions that you're looking to make, which is typically how I like to do it of uh, coming into the year saying, Hey, here are things that I'm looking to potentially do and try to plan out some of the moves ahead of time and then in real time as well. I was just going to say, Mr. Vonnie, if you, if you're serious about getting into it, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be more, more than willing to help share resources with you, introduce you to folks. So just feel free. We need more good people in the field. Thank you. I just followed you. I'll be reaching out. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Come on, Black Excellence. Talking about we need more people in the tax code and we have a listener like, I. it is I. I want to do it. <laughs> and then we have the resources available. So this is awesome. Renita, you wanted to go? I did. I just wanted to ask, we have we have several authors in this room, right? So can you guys just like pub your book for us, whether or not you just wrote it? My name is Rakim Sabri, and I'm going to talk about financial trauma. Oh, please, please, please tell me you can do that as a short. I low key know it too, my kids. But that's why I started that. <laughs> I was just talking about. And you gotta do the hand too. You gotta do the hand. Like you can't say it without. Oh, let's see. This is why we family, though, right? <laughs> but I'm like, I just finished talking about how awesome and collaborative and. <laughs> about this thing 
And like, I don't know, it's just really cool to me to see because every time, and it's funny because ever since I've been in that panel that Rakim did at FinCon, every single thing I see kind of ties back to financial trauma. And so every time it does, I always think of Rakim's intro for his TikTok videos, which is so funny to me. No, but let's talk about that real quick, though, because that is branding, right? That is branding. When you see Rakim, he's talking about financial trauma. He's talking about financially irresponsible. And he's talking about he fired his boss. That's what you know Rakim for. You don't question me either. Period. Like, and he says it with so much conviction. Even if I had never, well, with, like my first time meeting him, I had never met him before. And everything he said, I was like, I believe it because he said it. <laughs> Just because he said it. Nah, but I love Rakim. We've been friends for quite some time. But it's all about branding, though. And that's what's important, too. Like, with whatever business you have, branding is what matters you know with branding that's it that's exactly what you just spoke on Marquia is branding but I like it specifically for us because for so long for FinCon I literally had no black people in my space as far as what I was doing my business and so like when I'm talking to people about personal finance all I kept hearing was the DRs excuse Ormans you know what I'm saying and so it's amazing and refreshing to be in this space and to hear these books with black authors or talking about black people and, and then we have a black author talking about black people with black people with so many of you in here so this is such a refreshing space for me to be in like I use up all my leftover audible credits on all the books y'all suggested today like I'm all tapped out I was in here talking to my husband like all right I'm about to buy these three extra ones it's only like thirty dollars like like it, it's just it's so refreshing to be here and to be able to reference all of your books and stuff when I'm having personal finance conversations instead of having the reference Dave Ramsey and Sue Zorman and, and uh, the, the Kiyosaki and all that stuff. So it, for those of you who have published books, keep going, keep pushing every like keep talking about your books, keep posting about your books, because there are people like me out here who never knew you existed until you started speaking about your books. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That is so true. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And we're going to get to that because Renita teed it up. Then we got off on a tangent. We started laughing, just having a good time. So we're going to get to all of the authors in here. But really quick, I wanted to jump over to Jerry because he hopped up here to say something. So I want to acknowledge that first. Hey, y'all. Just just happy to be here. Happy Monday to everyone, everyone in the space. And basically, basically like I just came, came along the space and then just even seeing the brother Shamari just here, just like kicking it, it really just like kept me in. And I know, know you kind of just re- basically like just explain like just how like the game, like with the tax game, like it's easy, it's approachable enough that most people can can get in, whether or not they have integrity intact. And me personally, like right now, like I'm just in the process of studying for the EA exam and just preparing myself for that. So really my main question to you is just what was that motivation that led you from, you know, doing taxes as young as 12 to decide, you know, let me get this EA and how exactly are you just connecting to that in your work? I just realized that was for me, Jerry. My apologies. But I, so I might be the oldest one in the room. So when I say I was doing it since I was 12, like I'm in my 40s now, but I didn't always pursue taxes. I actually hated taxes because it was kind of linked to the way I spent time with my dad. And when my mom and my dad broke up, I always had to go to his office after school. 
and then I had to clean up and clean the bathroom and sweep up and do all kinds of stuff that was associated with work. And when you're a nine, ten year old kid, that's not fun. That's not sexy. But and I think I told kind of told the story before. I didn't realize I was being blessed, even through my rebelliousness. I was being blessed because there's not a lot of black young men who get to see business owners and professionals and people who are about the community day in and day out. So I was blessed to see all that. So I, again, I didn't take tax serious because I was a financial advisor. I was an institutional money manager or Wall Street investor. First, it was my old boss said something to me. I said, I can't seem to get rid of my tax clients. They just won't leave me alone. He said to me, maybe that's God telling you this is the work you're supposed to do. And I think he was right because I always look at anything that I'm doing as a teaching opportunity. I think I have more of a teacher's heart than a quote-unquote accountant's heart, so to speak. But in our community, the first, the first line of defense when it comes to money, when it comes to finances or economics is the tax professional. It's, it's no one else is not it's not the mortgage broker, well, sometimes it's the mortgage broker, but usually it's the tax person. To get your mortgage, you need to get taxes done. To get a car, you need to get taxes done. And so I just use that now as a way to teach and say, through all these opportunities that I've had the privilege of being involved in, there's more to this than just doing your tax return. Like Ronnie was saying earlier, you got some people that just kind of do data entry when it comes to tax, and they don't understand the reason why certain things are and how it impacts. But if you can say, listen, if you do A, B, C, and D, which all it touched on your tax return, it'll make your life that much easier. So, and then to become an EA, to answer your question, I feel like I just went on a rant, a rant, so I'm sorry. But I became an EA because there were some other black EAs. And EA stands for enrolled agent. A lot of people know about the CPA, and I, the way I like to compare them is I say CPAs are the kings and queens of accounting, and tax is a, a small piece of accounting, but enrolled agents are the kings and queens of tax, because that's all they do is tax. So the enrolled agent is a certification governed and, and lorded over by the Internal Revenue Service. And so once you have your enrolled agent you have the ability to represent taxpayers like Ronnie was talking about earlier. So there's basically only three three people that can represent taxpayers with the IRS. That's a CPA, Certified Public Accountant, a lawyer, or an enrolled agent. So it's only us three. So to answer your question, though, the reason why I did it, I said, I've been in this for a long time. I want to do more. I want to start being, I want to be more representative of our people because it's a very white male dominated, it's a very white male dominated industry. And when you see tax pros, you never see the folks who are like, at least in our community, you never see the folks who are like really, really using their position as a ways to empower and teach. And I thought this would be a great way to do that. Sorry for the rant, y'all. No, that was awesome. Because <laughs> I, 
actually, I'm going to be real. I was about to get into when I was like, oh, we could do a whole different thing on taxes. Because I was about to say, oh, maybe we should tell the people what an EA is. And then here goes Jerry. He's like, oh, I'm about to be an EA. And so now we have to get into that conversation anyway. So I'm glad that that was brought up. Thank you, Jerry, for your question. Hopefully that answered your questions. I just want to make sure your questions were answered. Yeah, I was. And Jerry, I did a video with another CPA kind of breaking down CPA versus EA because if you get in the wrong circles, they'll start to bash one another. I'm not really with any of that because I know a lot of dope CPAs. I know a lot of dope EAs. I know a lot of dope tax attorneys. I know some people who are what we call unenrolled tax pros who really take it seriously and do do the damn thing. But I, I just I just come from a place that everybody should be respected. Can, can I say something really quickly? Um, yes, and I apologize, guys. This is turned into a little tax talk. But... <laughs> oh, like, dang, y'all couldn't I'm, wait till I'm... next week. We supposed yeah. to be talking about books. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> 5,000 pages, man. 5,000 pages. <laughs> Shakespeare. No, so I just want to say this really, really quickly. This is kind of not deep into the taxes but or accounting, but representation matters, man. It is so important. I'll just tell a little bit of my story quickly. What got me into accounting. So I, I was raised single parent household, all of that good stuff. First generation college student, first generation business owner, first generation, you name it. But I did, I always said that I never had a mentor, but I did have people that poured into me for whatever reason. They must have saw something in me. But there was this professor when I was in the HBCU. His name is Bernard Bug. Shout out to him. And he kind of talked me into the accounting profession. He was kind of recruiting me, so to speak, saying that we need more people that look like us in the profession. So when you kind of look at accounting and specifically to the CPA, I think only currently one to two percent are black. And what's funny is I actually did a webinar today on it was a diversity webinar that talked about examining the career progression of black public accountants. And they said by the end of the 20th century, only 1% of the 400,000 CPAs were black. Now, that's at the end of the 20th century. Fast forward to today, 2022, only 1% to 2% of CPAs are black today. So we are very much so underrepresented in this arena. So that's part of why I'm passionate about kind of what I speak about added on top of the things what Kamari is talking about in terms of us being the first line of defense and people come to us first, but the representation matters. So I just wanted to add that piece in there. Then I'll, I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that though. Cause it's so, so important. Like similar to your story, for instance, when I was in my MBA program, um, one of my only black professors, he was like Tiffany you should look at being a professor. And I had never thought about that ever. But when he said that, I said, you know what? And he gave me some resources and stuff. And so now I'm a professor at a local university and I love it. But had it not been for someone that said, Tiffany, you should look into this that was already doing it and looked like me, I probably wouldn't have taken it as seriously, honestly. But when he said that and he gave me his vote of confidence, he's like, you would love it, this and the other. I was like, okay, let me dig a little deeper and see what this is about. So just to piggyback on that, representation matters. If you are in an industry that we're very few and far between in, 
please be that beacon of light for someone else because it's so important. And I saw Kamari raise and then Marquia. I just want to jump in real quick and piggyback off of Ronnie and Tiffany. Representation matters so much. And one of the things that makes me itch a little bit or has me a little scared is the amount of anti-college talk we have in our community. A lot of times I know people talk about college as a ripoff, which it is, but we never really talk about the cultural relevancy of college, where if we are not represented in certain spaces, we get trampled over, we get dogged out, we get raped. Right. So in those positions, oftentimes require college, whether it's a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, an engineer. So I would just challenge everybody just to think about that. And when you're having those conversations, yes, I know everybody shouldn't go to college or, or isn't built for college. But what about the kid who always gets overlooked and is really, really smart and should go to college? So think about that when we're having these conversations. I wasn't going to comment on that, but actually kind of have you brought that up. So I'm one of those, I, it's not that I'm anti-college, but I am unapologetically, like, I hate college. Like, like I'm super open and transparent about that. Like, I was one of those kids that was extremely gifted, skipped a grade, tried to skip another grade. My mom was not fucking having it. Like, I was extremely gifted growing up. I've been reading on a college reading level since I was in, like, a single digit grade. Like, I, like, like, I think I was in, like, third grade when I got assessed like I've always loved learning but unfortunately the school system that I was a part of could not support that and so though I loved learning and I was a huge advocate for learning the idea of going to college did not appeal to me because it was a result a direct result of the public school system that I was a part of and so I went a different route I ended up joining the military and it wasn't even like I don't get me wrong I always wanted to be a part of the military like my granddad was in Vietnam and he used to have us practice in airborne jumps off the back porch and stuff like that like that was always in the cards for me but I just knew that I wasn't ready for college I was 17 graduating my mom I was the second oldest of five kids and we were stair steps I knew my mom couldn't afford it on top of I didn't even know what I wanted to do so college for me just I it wasn't really an option like it wasn't even on my plate I never took the SAT I never took the ACT I took the ASVAB and that was it for me and when I joined the military and I did some really amazing things I at 17 I was briefing John Kerry who was high up in President Obama's cabinet I was a cybersecurity analyst I was a cryptologic warfare technician working for the National Security Agency out of Fort Meade at 17 like so that was so I've, I've done some really amazing things outside of college but it's so funny that you say that because now, here I am, I'm, I'm 29 now, I'll be 30 next year. I retired from the military, right? I've lived this really full life. And it's like, I'm on to this next chapter now. And it's just so crazy because all of the things that I thought at 19 and, and 21 are not the same things I think now. Where I was so anti-college, like, oh, you don't need to go to college to do this, 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 this. Now here I am at 29 and it's like, I want to accomplish certain things, but it's so hard for me because I don't have a degree. And it's like, it sucks that that is a barrier because I could very well be a genius. But without that piece of paper, which is so scammy, but without that piece of paper, unfortunately, I will not be included in this conversation. And so as much as I don't like it, and as much as it's not fair, you got damn right I signed up for college. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to college to get my degree in education. Wait, you know, what? Yes, what? 
yeah. What? <laughs> what? Hey, hey, her talk not to the, the left. left. <laughs> he, he said like, what? I'm so anti-college, bro. Like I'm so anti-college. Like I'm so. I hate the idea of going to somebody's classroom and having to sit down, especially at my ripe old age of 29, right? Ooh, but like. I'm so anti-college, I hated it. But unfortunately, I always tell people, and that's so crazy because I preach it all the time, be the change, be the change, be the change. But in order for me to affect the change that I want to affect within my industry and just in personal finance, period, right? I, unfortunately, there's certain things that I have to have in order for certain people to take me seriously. And without a degree, like my CFPI is cool, but there's a lot of people who tell me, no, we're looking for a CFP. No, we're, we need this. No, we need that. And I'm, t- I'm one of those people, I don't, I'm spoiled. I get everything I ask for from my husband, from, from my friends. So it's like when people tell me no, I feel some kind of way. So now I'm about to go get this degree so that now you really have no reason to tell me no. And for me, it's not that I'm going to college because I want to or because I'm going to be proud. I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to work really hard and I'll probably be proud of the degree once I have it. But I'm going to college just because you told me that I wasn't worth anything without it. So now I want to see you deny me once I have it. Well, that was dope, and I hope you didn't think my comments were about you. No, no, no. We talked about it. (laughs) Yeah, because my my argument is more of a a community argument, but that's dope. And I believe just from my brief interaction with you, you are a genius, and you absolutely will be wonderful in college. But just like anything else, when black people come into these spaces, oftentimes we're not cherished, we're not respected, and we're not valued. So things get a little crazy. You can't tell me that all kids don't want to learn. Mm-hmm. And then miraculously, when we get to, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, when some traumatic stuff happens, our light bulb just goes off. Our light gets a little dimmer. And it's sad because that was a little genius over there. And I guess part of the reason why I get I'm I'm, I'm like this right because I was a teenage parent and a lot of people looked at me and said, "Well, you can't do nothing. Your your life's over." And I didn't go to school right away, but when I went back, I was 25 ish. I sat in front of the class. I asked all the questions. My inner nerd was activated, and there was no student that could rival me. Now I might have not got all the A's but I got the knowledge that I was supposed to get. And I think there's a lot of us that can do that. So I try to talk about that as much as possible. But it used to be talked about. And I think that's why I definitely spoke up because that wasn't even what I raised my hand for. But it, that needs to be said because here, here it goes. Hi, Benjamin Kim, right? That's that trauma right there that influenced right. my decision. You feel what I'm saying? That that led to me not wanting to go to, high, to college. It's because of all the stuff I experienced. Like I said, I'm from Baltimore. So Baltimore City Public School System, like it, it wasn't what I needed, what I needed it to be, but it was also what I needed in that moment because I do believe that the military has really set the foundation for who I am today and a lot of the things, the values that I have. So I mean, it, I feel like that was the right path for me. But it's just crazy how the things that I said at 17, 18, 19, my my viewpoint is completely different now at 27, 28, 29. And I think that speaks to the fact that growth is not linear and that you are always like things are always changing. The only constant is you are born and you die. But there is a lot that happens in between. And especially with the social media and us as content creators, we say one thing and everybody takes that one thing and tries to apply it to every situation. But it is important as also receivers of this information 
that we make it known that, yo, just because I think this today don't mean I'm going to think this tomorrow or next week or next year. Just because my life is like this now doesn't mean it's going to be the same way later. So that wasn't even what I raised my hand for. But that that definitely, <laughs> I definitely think more people need to be speaking about that. Facts, facts. And I know Nia and then Rakim's up. I, oh, you know what? I'm doing Tiffany's job. Let me get out of the way. But <laughs> I, was, I, was just, I was just going to say one of my theses is, though, I think we send our children to college way too soon. The majority of our children don't have our brains have informed at 17 and 18 to make these major monetary and financial decisions that are going to impact them. But, you know, again, I went back, like I said, I was like 25-ish by the time I really got serious going back to school. And I will just add on, then we'll go to Nia because she has been so gracious and so patient waiting. But I teach freshmen and I can tell you, because they're coming in fresh, most of them. Now, I do have some unconventional students, but most of them are coming in fresh. And when I say (laughs) they're not ready, (laughs) they're totally not ready. I can speak from experience. They are not ready. But that's why, so I teach personal development, which is like pretty much what I consider adulting 101. And so it goes over like all of those skills that they need to kind of survive on their own but I can tell you they're not they're not ready so your thesis is correct no (laughs) I am the the uh I am the research study it is correct but go ahead Nia because you've been waiting so patiently thank you thank you thank you so first I want to say I'm Nia creator and founder of Perspectives I take women from struggling and stressed to empowered about money and help them prepare their finances for home ownership. First, I want to say I've been loving the book suggestions, the ones that I haven't read. I've probably spent about $60 in books, and I'm super excited to read them. Secondly, just a little bit about my story. My mother was a single parent, had me at 17, and I was her third child. I had my daughter at 17. It took me about 16 years to complete my MBA from life and just going back and forth to get it. And just a lesson that I taught my daughter about college, I completely agree with Kamari, what he said. And also college is not transactional. A lot of times at that age, that's the best opportunity you have to be around like-minded individuals who are also putting in work to get themselves ahead and to, you might be able to find lifelong friends from that point who you all are looking to improve your life. Because sometimes you're just among your friends who went to school with you, they might not be of that mindset and that might be a way for you to get in different circles. Trying to keep it as short as possible. Yes, on Rakim's intro, yes, I know about heart with the hand and everything. I'm like his stalker. I love and engage all his videos on TikTok. But he is goals for me because I actually just came out with a book. So my book, speaking of, buying the block back my book is called life is short by the house it's the ultimate guide to preparing for home ownership i feel like a lot of times we focus only on credit and they don't really prepare themselves for whatever home purchase they're making and i also intentionally made sure i put a black hand holding the keys on the front of my book because usually when we see these books like this about wealth you don't see us on the front of it or you see any type of book that's coming out and teaching us about making money and building wealth you usually don't see us. It's normally somebody else. So I wanted to make a point of making sure that I put that on there because representation matters. I wrote notes, y'all, like seriously. Oh, and I thought it was funny that Marquia's mom had five kids and she has five kids also. (laughs) Girl, don't remind me. Okay, I'm done.
Thank you so much, Nia. And thank you for getting us back on track because that's what we were supposed to be doing is shouting out all the Black <laughs> authors in the room. <laughs> and we have gone all around the world. So I could not hear you. What'd you say? You should have known that wasn't going to be the only topic. Yeah, I was like, okay. All right, so we back on track. Thank you, Nia, for getting us back on track. I'm going to go over to Rakim so he can plug his book. And if there are any other Black authors, please raise your hand so that way we can get you shouted out as well because we are going to have to wrap up. We, we going on two hours again, y'all. <laughs> it's almost 11. So let's go ahead and go to Rakim. So on that note, I told myself when I came onto this space that I was only going to be here for an hour. And now we're going on two hours, so I know next, next space, I'm going to have to allocate a budget of two hours of my time so that I'm not disappointed. Oh, my God, so many things. So, yes, Rakim Sabri, financial trauma, financial empowerment for people who look like me. Backstory on that. So, Marquia, it's interesting that you brought that up because I would watch Marquia's videos on TikTok, and she mentioned that she's newer to the space, but she's killing it. She has mad followers, and I'm like, I love Marquia's introduction where she talked about your favorite credit credit specialist, favorite credit specialist, right? And I know I butchered it, but I was like, damn, like, I need to come up with something catchy and something short. And talking about personal branding in the way that we did, the number of titles and accolades that came after Rakim Sabri since 2018 has been crazy, right? I started, I, I published my first book in 2018, then I published my next book in 2019. Then I did the TEDx. Then I started writing for The Grill. Then I started writing for Black Enterprise and Entrepreneur and all these other places. And so when I would introduce myself on podcast, I would say, my name is Rakim Sabri. I am an author, speaker, financial coach. My work has been seen in dot, 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 dot. And so realizing now, going back to kind of the basics, right, people are not going to remember all of that stuff. Having a very quick and actionable and summarized description of who I am is the best way. So I appreciate all of the love and all of the feedback around that intro. And I appreciate you guys recognizing the the presence that I have in this space. And it's, it, it just let me know that I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing it the right way. I do want to go back to Marquia's point about school because I just, I resonated really hard with that. I was never a person who hated school. I love school. I always excelled in school from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through high school. I was on the honor roll. I I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I grew up. So that was just like, there was no question that that was going to happen. And then life happened. Interrupted my education to move cross country with my mom, then moved back up north, started working in banking, started making money, and it was a wrap. I went as far as my associate's degree while I was working, and then I stopped. And the reason why I feel like that's important is because as I prepare to take this trip to Denver on Wednesday to speak at the Financial Therapy Association's conference, one of the points that I'm going to raise in my presentation is the gatekeeping that exists within the financial therapy, financial psychology space. Because I had a conversation today with a financial therapist, a white woman, who who had a conversation with another person that I had a conversation with today, Black woman who is not credentialed as a financial therapist, but would like to use the terminology. And she said that they connected at FinCon and she left FinCon feeling conflicted. And that a recent post that I shared around that gatekeeping gave her clarity. 
And so personal finance is a is a I know I'm going to say this wrong, but it's a it's an industry already that's been gate kept for so long. So as we celebrate each other in this space and the work that we do and the specializations that we have collectively and the impact that we are creating, it's still very much a gate kept space. But going into the specific discipline of financial psychology, financial therapy, financial trauma is even more gate kept. And, and so Stephen and I have these, this conversation often because there are co-practitioners who are licensed therapists who have backed into personal finance from their credential as a therapist or a social worker or what have you and they feel that they can take up the most space where we with our background in spirituality and experience and trauma through lived experience can't take up space and so my argument is what makes you more qualified to talk about this than somebody who has navigated poverty and who can talk to people who look like me, who are going to trust me quicker than they're going to trust you because we already have a historical aversion to the institutions in this country that include medical, legal, and financial. So I'm coming at you from the perspective of a financial therapist, and that's already two strikes against the black person who's like, I'm not trying to hear nothing that you're talking about because you don't understand where I'm coming from. So I said all that to say, my journey is going to put me back on the path to college education. But I, I wanted to share as well, one day in the, in the distant future, there's going to be a doctor in front of my name or a PhD behind my name, however we want to look at it. But I share with this woman today, this black woman today who was having those doubts Take up the space, take up the space with or without the credentials. So, Marquia, to your point, yes, there are people who are asking for us to furnish these credentials to prove that we already know what we already know. And we have to play the game in order to get into certain rooms. But there are other rooms that the door is just going to open for us by virtue of who we are and the space that we take up. And so, when you guys talk about and reflect on, me coming into this space and talking and not literally this space, but the financial trauma space and the branding and all the branding that I've done and how when somebody says Rakim Sabri, the first thing that you're thinking of is financial trauma or financial empowerment or financially irresponsible or I fire my boss. That's how it's supposed to be. I'm taking up all the space that I can and showing up in all the ways that I can. And we laughed about this in the beginning of the space where you guys were talking about getting that verification badge. I made it my goal to get this verification badge, not because it does something for me, because it, re it represents some kind of money for me or some kind of validation in the work that I do, but I could go anywhere on Twitter and somebody's going to say, oh man, that guy got the blue check. He, he must be about something. He must be about something. And last thing I'm going to say after I, as I get off this horse of, of pumping myself up, I've been doing videos lately and I've been getting a lot of comments on them wearing a hoodie that says Google me. And there's an image of somebody typing in Rakim Sabri and the little icon pops up with my Google knowledge panel that says Rakim Sabri author. And people have been like, damn, that's a dope shirt. That, that's a dope shirt. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? And it was a gift to let everybody know. And I can't sell it because it's using Google stuff and I don't want to get sued. But wearing that, it, wearing that as a gift and thinking about the person who, who made the gift for me is so it's such a, a masterclass in personal branding because 
people are actually going to Google me when they see me wearing that. And they're going to see all the work that I've done. And all the work that I've done, if you are measuring my worth through my college education, is done by an associate degree carrying person who can sit there and have a conversation with a PhD or MD or a PsyD or whoever else and hold his own weight by carrying this space. So that's all I got to say about that. I know I took a lot of time, but I just I wanted to, to, to give that to you all and to give that to you specifically, Marquia, as you talk about going back to school. Don't make that be the only reason that you're pursuing the, the, the credentials so that you can have those conversations. Learn to play the game. I'm sorry, I lied. Not last thing. Uh, Kamari said one thing, too, that I want to say, and I, I shared it in a live that I did this week, and it was that we have to stop sending children out into the world without purpose. I talked about how I started working at 16 years old, and I only realized 16 years later that I have been working this whole time without purpose. And so now as I enter into this season of entrepreneurship and I realize how many people have generated success through making their job their investor, because I didn't have purpose, I didn't make my job my investor. I certainly invested. I certainly put money away. But we have to send our, well, I don't have children, but we have to send children out into the world with purpose. And so that applies to jobs, that applies to education, that applies to anything that we do. And I'm Go ahead. No, I was saying I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I got to figure. I think I know by now when you're ready to wrap up. So I wanted to point out a couple of things real quick, and then we're going to go to Stack. So first of all, like when you said how <clears throat> the social work PhD in this space is so underrepresented. So I am reverse engineering that thing. So I'm actually currently applying now to get my PhD in social work to study financial and how it relates in social work. And when I met with the advising professor, he was like, oh my gosh, we need you because at the end of the day, it's mostly white dominated. He's a white male. But then also going back to what you were saying, there's not a lot of people that come in from a different background. So because I'm coming from the business background, from the personal finance background, there's space for me in that space and they want to pay for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if that is of interest to you, please pursue it because we need more people in that space that are in those rooms because the advising professor that I was talking to He's like, he gets grants all the time, millions of dollar grants from these big companies like the big banks and the big credit card companies and all that stuff to do this type of research. But it's coming from his point of view. Now, don't get me wrong. He's all about us and he's awesome, but it's just coming from his point of view and his teammates. So when I came on the scene and I was like, oh, this is something I want to study, they hopped all over it and I'm able to do a full ride. So if this is something that is of interest to you, definitely pursue it and kind of reverse engineer that bad boy. And then also I wanted to point out, because Rakim mentioned how he used to do his intro. If you check out the Money Talk with Tiff podcast, episode 12, this is going way back, but in 2019, I had Rakim as a guest and you can hear how we used to introduce Rakim. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Um, but I'm going over to you, Stack. <laughs> nice. I love it. I will be brief, sincerely. And that's not like a, a church pastor saying I'm going to be brief. I'm actually going to be brief. 
So I just wanted to react to a few things and and try to get it to a close for you, Tiff. A lot of things to react to. Still thinking back to Marquia talking about how she sees the world different at 29 going on 30 versus 17 through 19. That's just growth. That's just maturity. And I think we all need to think about how we look at life as we understand things as best we know how at this place. So like Marquia, I'm 36 going on 37. And it would be a waste of 13 to 14 years if I look at the world the same at 50 as I do today. So I expect to have different different thoughts and hopefully more mature perspective on how I see the world. So we don't have to be prisoners to what our perspectives are now. And it's okay to be like, hey, I've grown or maybe I've, I was a little off there. Or, hey, I'm, I'm strengthened in how I looked at things. And wanted to just encourage us all, because somebody said this earlier, and I, I wish I knew who it was a while ago, of just this idea of teaching people from what we know for, for where we're at. So even if you don't have the credentials yet or whether you decide to get them or not, I just want to encourage us all to, to really do that. And like that, that was the space that really pushed me to help other people in finance was that I'm like, Hey, it's, it's 0809. I know I want to invest and I didn't have active people that were around me to really guide me in and how to do it. So I really just read and just launched out and did it myself. And I, I made a promise to myself that once I really figured it out, that I was going to help other people and speak to them in the way that I wish somebody was speaking to me when I was around like 22-ish years old. And I'm thankful to say I've been able to really meet that of, of doing that from just where, where I'm at. So just want to encourage us all do it where you're at and whether you get the PhD or, or whatever kind of letters that go with or certifications or things like that, a lot of times we're way more qualified from those lived experiences. And then we can back our way in with the other stuff as need be. So I, I just don't want people to wait before you launch out and, and get going. So as I said, brief for real, that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. And honestly, if you look at a lot of us, at least I can speak for myself, I didn't have any financial credentials when I started teaching people about finance. I was just like, I see a need in my community. This is what I'm going to do. And I dare somebody to check me on it now. I'm just kidding. But seriously, though, just get out there and start teaching what you know. So that way more of us can be educated. All right. So we're going to go to Melody, then Holly and then the SEMA, and then hopefully we can wrap up. And if we have any other authors in here, please let it be known. Please raise your hand so we can bring you up so you can plug your book. All right, Melody. Good evening, everybody. This has been an amazing conversation. My name is Dr. Melody Wright. I am a financial empowerment coach and the director of financial education at a black fintech called Kinley. And I just want to share a book that I wrote in 2020 called Start Here, Your Guide to Building Your Money Management System. I wrote this book because as a financial empowerment coach, one of the many questions that I would always get from potential clients or clients who I was working with was, 
where do I start? How do I start? How can I get started? And so I decided to write a book called Start Here that broke down strategic money management based on an organization, I guess, platform that I kind of made up for myself that helped my family pay off over $100,000 of debt in less than three years. So that book is out and available on my website, livebrokeonpurpose.com and amazon.com. So I will stop and pass the mic. Thank you. Thank you. Black authors represent. (laughs) All right, Holly. Hi, everyone. My name is Holly Reed Tootle. I'm a CPA based in Atlanta. And in 2016, I penned my first book called Teach Your Child to Fish, Five Money Habits Every Child Should Master. There's so much information about what we should be doing as young adults, as older adults, as preparing for retirement. But what I didn't see was a lot of uh, what what should our parents be teaching this next generation? So that's what I'm on a mission to do. I'm on a mission to equip the next generation to master money and empower their parents to give their kids the financial head start that they deserve. And so that book was really just born out of my own personal finance pitfalls, falling into those common financial pitfalls that many of us face and just trying to be a part of the solution to say, hey, what if someone had taken the time to walk me through, not just told me what to do, but showed me how to do it and also explained the why behind it. And so that's what Teach Your Child to Fish does. You can find me across social media everywhere at The Master Playbook. Yes, yes, thank you. That is awesome. And I am following. Make sure y'all follow all these authors in here too. And also all the people up here on the speaker show because we've been dropping gems all night. So you want to make sure that you keep getting those gems throughout the week until we meet again next Monday. All right, so Nasima, let's go to you. So (laughs) let me tell you, I'm a double master's prepared, overeducated nurse. So like y'all talking about going back to school and getting player haters degrees and all that other kind of stuff is giving me anxiety. I just want you to know that. So I don't think it's necessary. I think we're often, we often have to feel like we're overqualified because that's how we learn. Like we got to be two, three, four times better than that next person. When these people like the Mr. Money mustaches that got their little degrees and then become like the savants of personal finance, they aren't tripping off of no degrees, but I think we we feel like we have to validate ourselves by it. I don't think it's necessary, but that's just my two cents. Like I said, take that from an overeducated nurse. But I did come to say, I am also an author. I have a book called Smart Money available on Amazon that I wrote in eight weeks in the middle of the pandemic, working full-time as a nurse. And so I have a lot of PTSD around it. So I don't talk about it as much as I should. But I guess because you guys opened up the floor, I will plug my book. But yeah, it's out there. It's basically everything I wish I would have known about money in my 20s. So that's all. That's all I have to say. My two cents. And I did keep it brief, even briefer than Steve. Thank you. Thank you. And I will say, honestly, Nasima, like, I will say... For instance, being in corporate America, actually, when I was at the financial firm, right, there was only two black people at the firm, pretty much in the history of the firm, mind you, and the the firm was in existence since like the 80s or something like that. It was only two black people there. We were currently there together. And we were the only ones with advanced degrees. Nobody else in the company other than the owner 
had an advanced degree. And so when I was sitting there, I was like, well, this is interesting. I had my MBA and then the other guy that was working there, he had his JD. Nobody else in the company had anything remotely close to any of that. I think a lot of the advisors might have had their associates, maybe some had their bachelor's. But I just thought it was really interesting, like we did have to go above and beyond in order to even get a seat at this table. So it's not, sometimes it's not just us trying to do too much. Sometimes it's it's just reality. Like, unfortunately, in order to get into those spaces and do those types of things, sometimes it's just harder, like Marquia was saying, and like Rakim was saying, sometimes it's just harder for us if we don't have that advanced anything like it's like we have to do way extra way more than our counterparts and it's unfortunate but you know that was just the reality of the situation I know when I was there so I want to go ahead and before we wrap up because I like to acknowledge everybody financially present is up here as well I'm about to add him as a speaker and then once he goes we're going to go ahead and wrap up for tonight because we are almost at two and a half hours now and so go ahead financially present hey good evening thank you for allowing me to speak and thank you for creating this space I'm sorry I joined late but I just wanted to to give you a shout out, Tiffany. I appreciate it. I've been following you on Twitter for a little bit and also some various speakers here, including Nasima. I love what everyone's doing. My name is Maoli Vodi, and I spent nearly a decade as a stockbroker, financial consultant. And in my time in the space, like others mentioned, there was not enough of me. And it was, it was, it was glaringly obvious that there's this divide. And I got licensed, what, about 30 miles from where I grew up. And you would see kids in high school come in and open up accounts or try to open up accounts. Whereas when I was in high school, that was far from my mindset. (laughs) And it just takes me back to my parents and how they worked so hard. They didn't have time to even teach me about finances. So that's what spurred a lot of my interest in this space. And even though I took a different route, I've always continue to educate in that space. It's a little bit easier when you're outside of or being licensed. I know there's some advisors around or former advisors, so you can probably relate. (laughs) But I am an author as well. I started with eBooks. I've written two. One is just an introduction to investing. It's the class that I wish I had in high school or the class that was never taught, essentially. And then 100 Critical Tips to Building Generational Wealth is my second eBook that is available on my website. And much like a lot of you, it's a lot of what I learned along the way, what I learned to know to be true, what I've experienced, all of the things that to to essentially make sure that other people aren't falling for the bear traps and and tripping and stumbling and making the same mistakes that I made. And it's a part of a whole series that that we're working on. And it all can be found on financiallypresent.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for putting that out there. I wrote down all of the black money books that I need to add to my collection now. And I did go ahead and follow all of those authors as well. And I suggest that you all do the same as well as follow all the people that you see up here. Me, Rakim, Renita, Kamari, Marquia, Ronnie, Steven, Nasima, Jonathan. Like there's so many brilliant black minds up here and it's so important for us to not only intake 
each other's content and for all of you to intake our content, but also share it out as well, because this is how we grow. We do it as a community. We, no one person can do this alone. Like we have to do it as a community. And so as you can see, there's a lot of black faces that are in the personal finance realm. So there's no more excuses. We are out here and we're representing hard. So make sure that you follow us and make sure that you tell your friends and your family about us as well. You can help them. So with that being said, I think we are finally at the end of the journey for this week's Spin Noir. I hope you all had a wonderful time, got a lot of good information, and really enjoyed the speakers and the hosts that we have here tonight because this was so good. It went from book talk to taxes for like an hour and then went into some other stuff. And so it's just important that we keep holding this space so that way we not only learn from each other, but also other people can find us and start learning from us as well. So I appreciate you. And I want to thank you for joining the space. Thank you for the energy. Thank you to all the speakers and the co-hosts. I just appreciate you all showing up every single week for us because it's so important. Representation matters and that's what we're here for. So I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you so much for sticking around for so long. We appreciate it. And we will see you next Monday at 9 p.m. right here on Twitter in this space. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.